This is a reminder, you're listening to the delayed broadcast here on Faith FM. If you would like to listen to the live show live and participate in the quiz and the prizes and all the other fun things that happen on Faith FM Breakfast Show, then simply download the Faith FM app available on Apple or Android platforms. Welcome back, guys. You were listening to Fernando Ortega with Come Let Us Worship, Psalms 95, verse 6 and 7 here on Faith FM. Breakfast show, the breakfast show on Faith FM. Uh, Lawson, what have you got for uh, another clue for our quiz? We haven't, I haven't got this one yet. Okay. What book am I? Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm just like, okay, Lyle's going to get it in the next one. So double prizes won't be up for grabs. For long. Are you ready? Mm-hmm. What book am I? Jesus' first miracle occurs in the in chapter two of this book. And Lyle is correct. So that means no double prizes up for grabs today. one 800 324 If you want to win a prize, please, please call us. And you will, <laughs> of course, if you know the answer to the quiz. All right, Lyle. Yes. We're encountering God this morning. We are, and we are in the book of Daniel. We've spent a fair bit of time covering the background of the book of Daniel, looking at where we're up to. We finished off yesterday by talking about how Israel, the northern nation of Israel, because Mm. you've got to remember that God's church, God's nation, had a civil war and split into two. Um, They had a, a church split at a combat level. Mm. Um, and the northern nation of Israel went into apostasy. They never came out of apostasy. They remained in apostasy throughout their entire existence, and as a result of that, they ended up going into Assyrian captivity. They disappeared, and they are now known today as the Ten Lost Tribes. They were basically absorbed into the communities that they disappeared into, and that was the end of them. Then you have Judah following a similar path, but not quite the same, because sometimes they do worship God. They, mm. After all, they have uh, Solomon's temple right there with them, and so that inspires them at times to become worshippers of God, and at other times to not be worshippers of God. King Manasseh famously put a statue of a pagan god that he worshipped right there in the temple, and he worshipped it in God's temple, uh, Manasseh being one of the worst individuals who ever lived. And so you've got... Um, Judah, who sometimes worships God and sometimes doesn't, but eventually Judah reaches this point where they have four bad kings in a row. Mm. Just bad, 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 bad apostasy. They have reached the point where they have gone into apostasy, where they, if God doesn't do something here, they're not coming back. Mm. And this is God's only foothold in the world. And it's a very, very small foothold. Admittedly, the population of the world is much smaller than what it is right now. But this is God's church, and these are the only. This is this is kind of the last remnant of those who remember who God is and who are choosing to worship God. And so, you know, God needs to do something drastic. They end up going into Babylonian captivity. After four bad kings, you have basically nobody left who even remembers what the worship of God is. Mm. And so as we mentioned yesterday, you have Jeremiah, who's down in Egypt with a bunch of uh, Jewish mercenaries who are living in Egypt, and they've gone down there and they've uh, built their own temple down there, and and, and they're worshipping there on Elephantine Island. You can visit that today. I've been there. It's a a fascinating place to go to and see the Jewish quarter on Elephantine Island. Then you have Ezekiel, who travels with the exiles to, um, to Babylon, And he witnesses to them there, and he's working for their conversion there. And then you have 
four teenagers, mm. Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, who are slaves, and they're taken as slaves to Babylon itself. And pretty much that's all you have left mm. of those who worship God. Mm. We mentioned yesterday how that there was a time when Satan went to heaven and there was a gathering of the sons of God. In other words, the representatives of the of the universe have all gathered together. Mm. Satan turns up there and uh, in in the middle of them all, and God is like, uh, "What are you doing here, Satan?" He's like, "Well, yeah, I'm, I've come from the earth, mm. from wandering up and down and going to and fro." In it, the King James Version says, and of course, he is passing himself off as the representative of this earth. The true representative of this earth should have been Adam, as the father of our race, but Adam is dead. So no one can go there and Satan's like, yeah, you know what? I'm going to go up there as representative of planet Earth. And so he gets there and God asks him a rather embarrassing question. Mm. God says to Satan, what about Job? You, you, you say that you represent the whole of planet Earth. Well, what about Job? Mm. Do you represent Job? And of course, Satan turns around and is like, oh, you know, the only reason that Job serves you is because you give him stuff. You're just his sugar daddy. Um, and... Of course, you have that whole discussion there between God and Satan and that interaction with Joe, which creates terrible tragedy on earth. But in the end, of course, you know, God's government of love wins out. Mm. When I look at this story, and the other thing that you have to remember is that the word of God itself is incredibly scarce. We don't understand. We really have no idea what it is like to be in an environment where the Bible possibly exists in just one copy. Yeah, wow. One written copy in the entire universe. And, of course, that one copy for a period of time, quite a, an extensive period of time, was lost mm. um, until it was refound again. You know, for, for, for decades it was lost and nobody knew where it was. And when they read it, they're like, wow, we can't believe this is what the Bible says because... They had just really had no idea what the Bible said. That copy of the Bible remains. There are five people that we know that are faithful to God. And you can imagine Satan is gloating because now God's people are idolaters. They are discouraged. They feel that God has left them. They feel that, um, you know, that, that, well, why? They're in a foreign land, they're exiles. They are surrounded by temptation in a way that they have never been surrounded before. Uh, and you can see very clearly that Satan be like, yeah, you know what? I've won. Mm. I've got this. He looks down he's like, yeah, four teenagers and two old guys. Yeah. They'll die and the teenagers I can corrupt, you know, like that. Give me a couple of years, God. I'll be back in heaven and I will be the representative of every single person on the planet. Mm. I will have... Officially one. The entire planet will have rejected you. Mm. And so you can see Satan, you know, he quietly smiling to himself, gloating with glee. He's like, I'm actually going to do this. I'm actually going to win here. You know, God's city is destroyed. God's temple is destroyed. It's been burnt. And not only has it been burnt and destroyed and the, and the population taken captive, but they have been taken captive by Babylon. Mm. You know, this is so symbolic for Satan. Yeah. 
Babylon is not the greatest empire in the world at this particular time. You know, the Median Empire is arguably, you know, bigger than the Babylonian Empire. They're kind of like competing superpowers. Yeah. If if you can if you can look at it that way. Um and you know, the Medes could have come and down and down and accomplished the same thing, but it wouldn't have had the same symbolic significance mm. than Babylon the place where the first great rebellion against God after the flood began. Mm. The place where, you know, bold-faced, shake your fist in the face of God rebellion began. This is a real checkmate moment for him, you know. Oh, yeah. And I, oh, yeah. And up until this point, you know, with the faithful kings and the defending of um, the you know the defending of Jerusalem and and Judea and Israel like it was kind of this like if, in Satan's head it would have been like oh yeah God you won those battles but I'm winning the war here like I'm the one who's gonna uh, accomplish this man like it, yeah very clearly we see um, yeah Satan would have just been stoked on this he he is just he's 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 gained the victory he's like oh yeah in an ultimate sense like I'm gonna win I got this yeah and, and, and there's these 14 age guys right they're like 17 years old mm. and they're in Babylon and it's like you know okay they've been faithful to God back in Jerusalem but um, they're not going to be hard to corrupt mm. okay we all remember what it's like to be 17 don't we yeah and at 17 years old it's interesting where Satan begins Satan does not begin with these guys by turning up to them and saying, okay, you guys are faithful to your God, but you're here in Babylon, so why don't you worship Bel or Marduk or one of these Babylonian gods? It's not how he starts. Mm. It's interesting how he starts because, you know, this is such a critical battle for Satan, and I don't think we really understand just how critical this battle is because there is he is so close. Mm. He is not taking any risks whatsoever at all. Mm. And so he starts in with these guys super subtle. He takes them as slaves. The Bible, you know, repeats this concept in a number of places. And, you know, Daniel carries the, uh, the, 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 the title of slave all the way down until, you know, right at his death, he's still called the slave. You're listening to Faith FM, positively different radio. So Daniel's going to carry this with him his whole life. They're never going to cease to be remembered that they are slaves. You can imagine that as being slaves, you know, they've been chained together. They've been dragged all the way from Jerusalem to Babylon. That's a very, very long journey in those days. That possibly took several months. Mm. Um, And not only are they slaves, but they are noble slaves. Yes. They've been singled out for captivity because they are of noble birth. Mm. In other words, they are part of the Judean elite. Yes. They are well-educated, they are literate, and Nebuchadnezzar brings them to Babylon and he is going to follow a policy that he is going to really follow for the rest of his life. He's instituting this this particular point. This is the first year of his reign. He's starting something new. This is vastly different from anything that has ever taken place in the world before. Uh, The preceding empire, the Assyrians, and this was kind of, you know, the done thing in the world those days. And you can read it in the Assyrian uh, inscriptions and you can see depictions of it on their reliefs of what they did to royal slaves. And it was incredibly brutal. It was not nice at all. Um, We'll try and read some of those for you in just a moment, so long as you've got a strong enough stomach to stand it during a breakfast show. 
Um, but you know the Assyrians were a, were a really nasty bunch of people, and so Daniel and his friends can be expecting similar treatment to the Assyrians because this is you know the, the, the Babylonian Empire is brand new. And yeah. it's kind of the only way that they know of, of how empires actually work and function in the, in the world. And that is to be dragged through the streets of Babylon as a royal prize, so to speak. Hmm. And, you know, basically they become bragging rights for Nebuchadnezzar and then they're publicly executed. And the hmm. idea behind that was that you strike fear and terror into the, uh, into the, into the, um, Hearts and minds of all the other nations. So it's like, don't rebel against Nebuchadnezzar because this is what will happen to yeah. you. And that's how the Assyrians had functioned for, you know, literally hundreds of years. Uh, extreme brutality was, and, and, and extreme terrorism was how the Assyrians were able to maintain their grip on the empire. Mm. And so, you know, this would be the expectation. They arrive in, they arrive in Babylon and rather than getting that, extreme treatment no not at all uh they are treated with great dignity even to the point where nebuchadnezzar takes his favorite chef Mm -hmm. his best chef and he uh feeds them himself yeah with his best chef his best food Mm. now that's going to be shock any young person, any 17-year-old who's been dragged off as a slave. Mm. You know, if you compare this with the Assyrians, uh, let me see here. I've got a whole bunch of quotes here. Uh, the Assyrians created the world's first great army and the world's first great empire. This was held together by two factors, their superior abilities in siege warfare and their reliance on sheer, unadulterated terror. That's historian Simon Anglum stating mm. that. Uh, let me see. This is Ashurbanipal writing. I flayed as many nobles as had rebelled against me and draped their skins, that means he skinned them, over the pile of corpses. Some I spread out within the pile, some I erected on stakes around the pile. I skinned many right through my land, I draped their skins over the walls. This is what he puts on a billboard. Yeah. I felled 50 of their, mighty, of their fighting men with a, with a sword, burnt 200 captives from them, defeated them in battle in the plain. 332 troops with their blood, I dyed the mountain red like wool, and the rest of them, the ravines and torrents of the mountain swallowed. I carried off captives and possessions from them. I cut off the heads of their fighters and, and built there with a tower before their city. I burnt their adolescent boys and girls. In strife and conflict, I besieged and conquered the city. I felled 3,000 of their fighting men with a sword. I captured many troops alive. I cut off some of their arms and hands. I cut off other their noses and ears and extremities. I gouged out their eyes of many troops. I made one pile of the living and one of heads. I hung the heads on trees. Around. You know, this, is, this is the kind of thing that the Assyrians did. Yeah. And this is what, you know, this is what... This is what Daniel and his friends can be expecting. Mm. Because the world, you know, the Assyrians have only just been defeated. This is the next great empire that's come along. And the world just hasn't changed that much. And Nebuchadnezzar comes along with this radical policy. This is an unheard of policy. And what Nebuchadnezzar is going to do, and do very successfully, he's going to build an empire, a nation around 
brains, a knowledge empire. Mm. And he's going to drain the brains of all of the nations that he conquers. He's going to concentrate that in Babylon and build Babylon into the greatest city the world has ever mm. seen. Of course, I, I like. I think we we're talking a little bit about this yesterday, but like, I think that his, his, uh, maybe his inspiration from that, you know, to pay homage to the fact that Babylon, you know, ancient Babylon was that uh, great knowledgeable empire. You know, it was the empire of you know the the giant buildings, and it was the empire of the you know it was the, was the you know the center of of the religions and and whatnot in in ancient past like as you were saying is quite an old city by this time and it's like oh well the next step is to you know what can i do you know reviving this great empire it will turning it into an empire oh well, i'm gonna seek as much knowledge as possible to make us the knowledge center the knowledge capital the knowledge hub of the world to show how great babylon is you know yeah. and, the, and the ideals of babylon as well and you know when you look at the cold war this is how the cold war was fought mm. you know what scientists can we get to defect from their country to this country? And what can we promise those scientists? And what kind of luxury will we give them if they do so, so that we can have, you know, the greatest nation on the planet? Mm. This is the definition of the Cold War right here. Mm. And this is, this is what. And, and Nebuchadnezzar, when you study the history of Nebuchadnezzar, what you're going to find is that he was not a great conqueror. Mm. He conquered for sure, and he conquered Jerusalem, which was no mean feat. But he is most known in history for building. Yeah. And he was able to do that because of the knowledge he was able to concentrate in Babylon. And he begins, the very first thing he does with these teenagers is he gives them new names. Yes. Babylonian names, Belteshazzar, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So they are named after his gods. And what he wants to do is he wants to not just incorporate their knowledge into his empire. He wants to incorporate their skill sets, but he wants to... He wants to absorb them, uh, make them truly Babylonian. He wants them totally integrated into the Babylonian Empire. He's putting them through like concentrated identity therapy, basically. Yes, that's exactly what's happening. He's stealing their identity for the purpose of like, oh, I need these guys to serve me 100%. And it's like, and then they do the same thing with like child soldiers, like that whole idea of like- And these are children. Yeah. It, these are children. The yeah. Bible describes them as children. As children. And it's like these guys rock up in Babylon and it's like, you know, you're ascribed a new identity and it's like, that, you know, that will stem, you know, once you, once you start believing that that's who you are, that'll lead to loyalty. What's interesting is when you read through the book of Daniel and, and Daniel lives into his 90s, mm. he never loses his national identity. Yes. And at the same time, he becomes one of the greatest contributors to the Babylonian Empire. Yes. And this is a there's a lesson here for anyone who is an immigrant. Mm. You don't have to lose your national identity to be a tremendous blessing to the nation that you have adopted. Mm. You can enrich that nation with what you're able to bring into it from your culture. Oh man, amen. Yeah. Man, my mind is just like pinging on with that idea because like when you see like Oh, and this is rushing ahead, but Daniel's great feat in, in Daniel chapter 2, which oh, is like yeah. just the breakout, and it's this whole idea. Like, he comes to Nebuchadnezzar, um, and like he's in this position of, you know, oh, like I'm a, I'm like, I'm a Jewish slave that's been, that's going through identity therapy. I'm, you know, they're trying to pull me away from my identity. I'm just like one of the wise men. He gets lumped in with this group of people that's about to be killed. 
um, because Nebuchadnezzar's mad. And like his response to that when he goes to Nebuchadnezzar to tell him the dream is like, but there is a God in heaven, like the God that I serve, the Lord, Yahweh. That is the God, like just oh, clutching, like in that circumstance, clutching onto his identity as a as a worshipper of God, as a Hebrew, um, as a Jew, and, yeah, it's and like Nebuchadnezzar, super powerful. Nebuchadnezzar will be looking at him like, why would you be clutching to that God? I just went down there and defeated that God. You know, the, the gods of Babylon defeated the God Yahweh. Why would you? Why would? Why would you not come across to my gods? They are clearly more powerful than yours. The evidence being that I have sacked and destroyed in your temple. And then just drops knowledge bomb on him. Like, I know, <laughs> never can as I know what you dreamed last night. Like, ooh, so, man, that's awesome. This is Lauren Daigle with Trust in You. We'll be back right after this. Letting go of every single dream. I lay each one down at your feet. Every moment of my wandering. Never changes what you see I've tried to win this war, I confess My hands are weary, I need your rest Mighty warrior, king of the fight No matter what I face, your body
That was Lauren Daigle with Trust in You. You're listening to The Breakfast Show on Faith FM. And we are in the middle of our Bible study. And what a Bible study it is dealing with the book of Daniel. Lawson, I'm wondering whether you can read for us Daniel chapter 1, verse 3 yes, through I 7. Yes, can. The Bible says, Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, his chief of staff, to bring to the palace some of the young men of Judah's royal family and other noble families who had been brought to Babylon as captives. Select only strong, healthy, and good-looking young men, he said. Make sure they are well-versed in every branch of learning. They are gifted with knowledge and good judgment and are suited to serve in the royal palace. Train these young men in the, in the language and literature of Babylon. The king assigned them a daily ration of food and wine from his own kitchens. They were to be trained for three years, and then they would enter royal service. Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, four of the young men chosen, all from the tribe of Judah. Uh, oh, sorry, some of the young men chosen were all from the tribe of Judah. The chief of staff renamed them with these Babylonian names. Daniel was called Belteshazzar, uh, Hananiah was called Shadrach, Mishael was called Meshach, and Azariah was called Abednego. Okay, Lawson. Yes. You're 17 years Uh old. You've been taken as a slave. Uh You've been marched for a month or two all the way from Jerusalem to Mm. Babylon. You are expecting something horrific to happen when you arrive in Babylon because you are of noble birth. Mm -hmm. Instead, when you get there, the king calls out his own chef and says, I want you to make these guys the best meal they have ever eaten. Mm-hmm. You've e- you've been living on the bread of affliction and the water of affliction, you know, probably grain and water this entire trip, living like an animal for the last couple of months. You've come from a noble background, so you've come from from wealth and privilege, mm. and suddenly you you get food laid out in front of you like you have never laid your eyes on before. Mm. What do you do as a seventeen year old boy? And it sounds like me becoming a Christian. No, I'm just joking. Just joking. <laughs> uh, um, oh man, at at this point, more than ever, in that kind of context, being like a 17 year old kid who's just gone through all of that, you just you just be starving. You just be, you just eat. Would you would you think that this would be one of those circumstances where you could justify eating food that is unclean? Oh. Like, as in, even you know, though it's couldn't, wrong. Couldn't you, couldn't you come along and say, well, you know, we're starving to death here. Yeah. Um, we've been treated in a way that we never, ever expected to be treated. Mm. Um, the king has gone, you know, Nebuchadnezzar has gone, you know, be oven beyond what we can possibly imagine. If we refuse his food, we know how sensitive this guy is, how mm. insecure he is. Um, what a despot he actually really is because he was a despot. Um, we know that he is, you know, somewhere between genius and insanity because that's how Nebuchadnezzar was. Yeah. And we really don't want to upset this guy. Mm. And it's more important to be alive, to be a witness for God, than to be dead and be no witness yeah, at all. Wow. You're in a tricky situation which would require... You could justify it, couldn't you? You fully could. You could you like you could justify it. But they just Does Daniel and his friends justify it? Do they eat the king's meat and drink the king's alcohol? Well, verse eight. 
But thank you. Daniel was determined not to be defiled, not to defile himself by eating the food and wine given to them by the king. He asked the chief of staff for permission not to eat these unacceptable foods. Oh! Imagine when he goes in there and says this food is not acceptable to us. And the and and the, and, and the chief of staff is like, "What are you saying?" Mm. You know, how on earth could this be unacceptable? What are you talking about? And they're like, well, you know, our God said we can't eat it. It's like, who is your God? Yeah. Because you have to understand the mindset of the peoples in those days. When they conquered another nation, to them that was not evidence that they were stronger than the other nation. To them that was simply evidence that their God was stronger than the nations of the other God, the God of the other nations. And gods were national. Mm. The Babylonians served Babylonian gods, the Assyrians served Assyrian gods, the Medes served Median gods, and the Jews served Yahweh. The Egyptians served a multitude of gods, mm. literally, thousands of them, um, who were incredibly confused, and you could kind of adapt them to your own liking. But the Jews just served Yahweh, and it's like, why are you faithful to Yahweh? Why don't you worship Bel and Marduk? They are your your God has been defeated. All of his all of the stuff from his temple is in the temple of our God. Mm. How much clearer evidence do you need? Not only that, wait, can we read the next verse? Because I you have can. a cool thought on this. Okay. okay. Um verse ten. But he responded, This is Ashvanaz, the chief. He says, I am afraid of my lord the king, who has ordered that you eat this food and wine. If you become pale and thin compared to the other youths of your age, I'm afraid the king will have me beheaded. I was thinking about this the other day. Mm-hmm. Why Why do you think Ashvanaz was so worried that if they didn't eat this food that they would become thin and pale? Well, I guess it was, you know, this was the food that the king ate and the uh-huh. king was given the best of the best of the uh-huh. best. And so, therefore, uh, they were like, "Well, this is going to be the most healthy food available." Mm-hmm. I, I, I'm just, you know, thinking that something. Now, like- now the other, th- the other thing is that they've gone through the desert. Mm-hmm. They probably look like they've just walked out of Auschwitz concentration camp. Uh-huh. They've got the Auschwitz look, yeah. you know, happening. Yeah. And if they turn up in the king's court looking like that, questions are going to be asked. Mm-hmm. Daniel and his friends are about to ask for, you know, a diet of um, vegetables and water. Mm. And for the Babylonians, that's you can't live on that stuff. That's, yeah. that's rabbit food. Yeah, okay, what are your thoughts on this? My thoughts? Okay, so they've like, um, it's very clear when you read this, it doesn't really get to it, use that language in the, in the New King James. but in, I mean, sorry, in the NLT, but in the New King James, it makes this whole point that Ashpenaz is the chief of the eunuchs. Right. And they've rocked up to Babylon to become eunuchs. Yes. So it's very likely... That at this point in time, like, they've probably just had... A certain operation take they've place. They've just had unisy surgery, basically. And where, like... And back then, it wasn't... It was not uh, there was no a simple vasectomy. There was no um, sterilization. No. They just... The other thing, too, is that slaves were money. Yeah. In fact, slaves were the most valuable commodity that you could that you could take when you took a, another nation. Mm. Slaves were more valuable than all of the gold and the silver that you could take. That was just how it was in the ancient world. And so these are money. The last thing that Nebuchadnezzar wants to see is his stock mm. dying. Yeah. 
Oh, man. And, and like, all of those things, I guess, on top of each other, like the compiling that, like, they've been through the desert. Yeah, you know, yeah, you, like, yeah, 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 yeah. It just creates a circumstance. You would think, like, God has deserted me. Why would I serve God? God has totally deserved, deserted me. God has deserted me, but it's just like, I should just eat or I'm going to die. Yeah. That's, that's where they're at. I should just eat or I'm going to die. Like, uh-huh. I've just had, I've just had my, my genitalia mutilated. I've just been through the desert. I'm a slave. Like, God has deserted me. There's no, le- no one left in, uh, in Judah that still worships God. I should just eat or I'm going to die. Like, that's, that's where they're at. And this is what Satan has done. Man, Lawson, that is just, that's a, that's a, just a mind boggling thought. But this is what, this is what Satan has done. He is, he looks at these young guys and he's like, I am going to crush them. Mm. But they're not crushable. Yeah. Because they're faith in God. And mm. God uses them to turn the tables on Satan. We're going to learn about it tomorrow. I serve God in Babylon. Daniel, Daniel, you fool. We serve God in Babylon. Daniel, Daniel, what's cool? I serve God. in Babylon and none were playing hooky. Ashpenaz chose them because they were all good looking. All of them remembering their mother's good cooking as, as they, they thought, thought about, about the food and wine the, the Babylonians ate. Daniel made his mind up he would not defile his body. Seeking out permission from the chief who thought it odd. He said I could lose my head but Daniel said then you can watch me. And he asked for ten days with only veggies on his plate. Trial soon over and they made evaluation. Daniel and his band would represent the Hebrew nation. Judges all agreed they made a finer presentation. They, they were, were handsomer, handsomer and smarter than, than the other boys at school. Think about the story now and let it be a learning. You think rejection's coming, yet it's true respect you're earning. But ultimately, favor of our God, the greatest yearning. And, and hearing, hearing his well done, who really cares about what's cool? Daniel, Daniel, what's cool? I serve God in Babylon. Daniel, Daniel. serve God in Babylon. Daniel, Daniel, what's cool? I serve God in Babylon. Daniel, Daniel, you fool. We serve God in Babylon. Some days it can be hard to put food on the table, but there's no need to go hungry. Food Blessings is a community food bank for anyone with a student, pensioner or healthcare card. Every Thursday from 1 to 4pm at Armadale Seventh Adventist Church, you can get a full shopping bag of delicious and healthy food for only $15 and we'll even chuck in a free bag of fresh fruit and veggies. Food Blessings, every Thursday from 1 to 4pm at Armadale Seventh Adventist Church, 67 Erskine Street. Is forgiveness or the lack of forgiveness eating away at you? 
a relationship breakdown maybe, long-term hurt, unresolved conflict. You know, it can be dealt with. If you want to break the cycle and start living a more forgiving life, Forgive to Live is a program designed to help us all improve our lives and be more forgiving. Don't let it eat away at you anymore. If you're keen to discover the power of forgiveness, why don't you take that first step and head to forgivetolive.org.au. You're listening to Faith FM, positively different radio.
Hilary Scott and the Scott family with Thy Will here on Faith FM. All right. The breakfast show on Faith FM. Lawson. Okay. Are you ready? Question, Question of, the, of day. the day. Coming from here a listener. We go, oh, just quickly. I don't think we've done another clue for the quiz, eh? No, we haven't actually. We might have um, skipped one. We might have skipped one. And now I'm looking. Okay, here we go. The shortest verse in the Bible is found in this book. Ah, what book might that be? Mm-hmm. Give us a call. Mm-hmm. 1-800-324-843. Where is the shortest verse in the Bible? Or zero four nine one zero six four six six nine. I preached about this about a week and a half ago. There you go. So you know where it is. I All do. right. So we have a, we've had a question come in from Irina, um, and she is asking, Lyle, uh, Revelation uh, chapter 13 and verse 5, where the Bible says, And there was given unto him a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies, and power was given unto him to continue 42 months. Um, Irina's friend thinks it's referring to the length of Trump's presidency. Um, but Irina knows that it's not, but what does it actually refer to? Yeah, good question. Great question right here. Let's go to Revelation 13 and uh, let's have a bit of a peruse of Revelation 13, 14. There are some really important things here. First of all, uh, speculation is the worst thing that you can ever do as a Christian. Mm. And guessing and tossing things out and just sort of, you know, grabbing something out of the newspaper and going, well, the newspaper, yeah, it kind of looks like, sounds like, is not how you interpret Bible prophecy. Bible prophecy is designed to interpret itself. You don't need to interpret Bible prophecy. If you are interpreting Bible prophecy, then you are in trouble. Mm. The Bible interprets itself and the Bible tells you what the symbols that are within it uh, symbolize so that you don't have to be guessing about them. We get into all kinds of trouble and we make fools out of ourselves when we guess about them. I recently came across somebody who said that, oh, well, Jesus must be coming soon because the Bible speaks about the last Trump and Trump is in power. Therefore, Jesus is coming soon. And I'm like, well, actually, you know, that's a KJV way of referring to a trumpet mm. that Jesus blows when he returns. It's got nothing to do with Donald Trump. But we always try and look at something in the world like, oh, Donald Trump must be the Antichrist. Of course, this passage here in Revelation 13 verse 5 is all about the Antichrist. And the Bible says in Revelation chapter 14, and uh, let me see here, verse 9, the third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, if anyone worships the beast in his image, that's the Antichrist in his image, receives his mark in his forehead or in his hand, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out undiluted into the cup of his indignation. This is simply the strongest language, the strongest warning you find anywhere in the Bible. Mm. And the question that goes through my mind is this. Is God going to give a warning like this and then not make it crystal clear as to who the Antichrist is? You know, if God has left us to speculate on who the Antichrist might be, oh, it might be Donald Trump, oh, it might be this person, oh, it might be that person over there. If God has left us to speculate and we are not 100% know exactly who the Antichrist is, we're in trouble and God is just being cruel. It's like, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pour out undiluted wrath if you worship the Antichrist, but I'm going to leave you to guess who it is. I mean, that's just sick cruelty. So, is it possible that Donald Trump is the Antichrist? Uh, because in Revelation 13 and verse 5, the Bible says, And there was given unto him, that's the Antichrist, a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies and powers given to, given to him to continue 42 months or 1,260 days. First of all, the Bible says that the Antichrist is a beast. 
verse 1. Let's read the context. I saw stood on the sand of the sea, and I saw a beast rise up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and upon his horns ten crowns, and upon his heads the name of blasphemy. The beast, a beast in Bible prophecy is not a symbol of a king, an individual, or a political leader. The Bible says, and you have a defining verse, and you've got to look for these defining verses when it comes to Bible prophecy. In Daniel chapter 7 and verse 17, these great beasts which are four are four kingdoms. A beast is a kingdom, the Antichrist is a kingdom. In Daniel chapter 7, the Antichrist is referred to as a little horn, another symbol of a kingdom. In Revelation chapter 17, the Antichrist is referred to as a beast and as a woman, a kingdom and a church. Donald Trump is none of these things. Therefore, he cannot be the Antichrist. And this passage refers to something altogether different. Do you feel the world is broken? We do. Do you feel the shadows deepen? We do. But do you know that all the dark won't stop the light from getting through? We do. Do you wish that you could see it all made new?
That was Andrew Peterson with Is He Worthy? You're listening to The Breakfast Show and Lawson. Let's have our giveaway of the day. We're coming to the end of the show, so that means we get to give away... Oh, we got an album today. Yes. Awesome. An awesome, awesome album called For Such a Time. Now, this is like a super interesting album because it's a collective album. It was produced by a good friend of mine, uh, Carly Kachansky. Yeah, I remember this one. And um, all like we have... About fourteen different uh, different artists and groups writing songs for this album. It's a fifteen track album, and basically, what this is this is actually an album that's targeted at kids, um, at young people but, specifically. But but it's an album I love to listen to. Yeah, oh, you don't have to be a kid to listen to this album at all. There's some super serious songs on here that uh, are, you know an adult can really really enjoy. Yeah, it really. It's not awesome. it's not babyish. No, it's not. It's not babyish at all, and that's what I really appreciated about it because you know they've done something for children and they've treated children with a certain level of intelligence that I think that we often skip, mm. and that's fantastic. And so, yeah, basically, this is an awesome album. Give us a call, 1-800-324-843, and you can win this album completely for free if you just go to call. You just got to ring up. Compiled by Carly Kachansky. Carly Kachansky, yeah. So this is, um, it's actually a group, they're called the New Song a new song collective, and they have been—they're currently working on a project at the moment, which they're, uh, they've been making a number of songs for. Um, oh man, I actually got the call up early in the week to uh, to go and. Yeah, you're um, you're going to be featured on this next uh, one. So amazing. We'll see what happens, but um, um, yeah. Give so us a call right now: one eight hundred three two four eight four three for your copy of this album, or text us on zero four nine one zero six four. Six six nine, and as we come to the end of our show here on the Breakfast Show, don't forget to always talk faith, live faith, act faith, and you will grow strong in Jesus Christ.
Shall be eternal. 